I'm reading John 4, verses 1 to 18, and then verses 27 to 30. Jesus and the woman of Samaria. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but the disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, asks a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Starting at verse 27. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Isaiah 49, verses 8 to 10. Thus said the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. On a day of salvation I have helped you. I have kept you and given you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the ways on all the bare heights and shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them down. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. Of course, she should not have been there. This woman... The commentators tell us that in her home village there was a well. 
but she walks a mile and a half to another source of water. And she walks in the heat of the noonday sun, not the time the women went to get water for the household. Why is she there by herself? Too easily, perhaps, her neighbours might have drawn the moral conclusion that this was someone they shouldn't be mixing with if they could have avoided it. And some biblical commentators over the years have agreed with them. She is no better than she ought to be. Why, there's the case of the five husbands. Have you ever thought about the five husbands? What happened to them? Was she just unlucky and they died? Or did they divorce her for whatever reason? Rabbi Hillel, a commentator of approximately the rough time, said a man could divorce his wife if she spoiled his dinner. Women were powerless in this situation. And we can find many situations in the world today where they share that sense of powerlessness. Apparently, she does not have any children who would have protected her as she got older. Within this little vignette, we see perhaps someone who has moved to the last and desperate case of living in an irregular relationship with a man who is not beholden to her, because otherwise she stands but one step from begging or prostitution. On that day, Jesus meets an older woman who is in a vulnerable place in her community, carrying water by herself a long way in the heat of the day. And you know, he should not have been there. John shows us how Jesus is on a journey from south to north. And if you remember your geography of the Holy Land, Jerusalem is in the south and Galilee is in the top and in the middle of Samaria. And it was said that pious Jews travelling north to south or south to north would do their best to avoid travelling through the land of the Samaritans. Jesus walks through the middle. But he is a foreigner. He is unknown. He is an outsider who meets this woman. And also, he is tired. We remember the Gospels do not really present us with Jesus as Superman waiting to burst out from his, in his invulnerability. And he has sent off his disciples to do the shopping, to get the provisions. And here he is, by the well, with the woman, hot and thirsty. And he needs something from this woman he needs it fairly urgently. It is a bucket and it is water. A simple act of common hospitality. The way in which many people have encountered their human nature reaching out in friendship to others. As I imagine many of us could witness. A simple act of welcome.
of connection. Of course, she should not have spoken. There was a strictly defined rule of conduct between men and women in those days. Even more so, she should not have spoken to a stranger. Not first. She goes beyond the conventions of the day. Undoubtedly, had there been others gathered around the well, they would have thought her outrageous, <clears throat> forward, objectionable even, in the way in which she treats this man. But Jesus is not bothered that she speaks to him. He takes time to speak with her <clears throat> and to tease something out of her life and her situation. As we know, the Gospels are not the minutes of the meetings held between various people. So we can only perhaps uh, grasp something of the conversation that must have gone on between us, of which John puts down what he thinks he wants us to know. But it is apparent in this exchange that this woman discovers something new in the talk. Something that she is drawn to explore more deeply as she asks questions. Jesus talks about living water. And although the woman would have had reminders of the water that was underneath in the wells of Jerusalem and the spiritualization of that by Isaiah and in the Psalms, and Ezekiel speaking too about the rivers of water that flowed with life. Nonetheless, in this mundane thing that Jesus talks about, she half grasps what's going on. And to some extent, John presents it as something comic. We, the readers, we, those looking at the scene, know what's going on, and she doesn't. But this rings true for her, albeit she does not understand what it's all about. Perhaps a figure of so much of searching after God where people do not come knowing all the answers or even necessarily all the questions, but know there is something there to be explored and wishing to pursue. This woman finds in Jesus something that is compelling something that is attractive, something that is mysterious, that draws her in to confide in him. And in doing so, she touches something profound in her life, as we see at the end of the reading, because of the impact it has upon her. Make no mistake, she doesn't end the conversation with Jesus as a fully formed, card-carrying disciple, but her life, has been touched in this encounter. And she speaks as she is experienced. And is that not where the root of all Christian witness begins? Of course, he should not have spoken. John gives us the description that this was Jacob's well, founded in a time before the division of the kingdoms, but carrying within that the implicit understanding of the history of animosity between 
Judah and Israel rooted in mistrust and military disaster as the kingdoms were picked off one by one by the great regional powers and the people were enslaved. For centuries, there was an ingrained prejudice running between the Jews and the Samaritans, too deep to unravel. It was commonly said that a good and pious Jew would not drink from something a Samaritan had drunk from in case they caught something. Or indeed, they would not stand downwind of a Samaritan lest the breeze bring something unpleasant. It's why, by the way, the story of the Good Samaritan is so objectionable for those who read it or heard it first. Because Samaritans just didn't do that sort of thing. Lest we think ourselves better, let us look around at our world and see the low level of inherited prejudice and bigotry that so often marks the public and political discourse, unchallenged and unthinking. So Jesus risks his reputation by talking to this Samaritan. He risks a sense of being contaminated if others saw him, and more than that, not only a Samaritan, but a woman. You can see this when the disciples return. They're not sure that Jesus is doing the right thing although they haven't quite got the courage to say so. And Jesus talks with this woman about God. A dialogue, although we don't read the rest of the, the, rest of the conversation out. A dialogue which explores God and his relation to men and women and their response. I don't know whether you would count yourselves as theologians or whether you think theology is something that is done in books and in universities. But theology, of course, simply means words about God and those words are ours. Jesus begins to share with this woman. In truth, often churches have shared in a monologue telling others this is what we have and this is how to respond. Jesus listens as the church should listen. Jesus, in that conversation, reported and unreported, perhaps begins to understand what it is to be like a woman who is vulnerable in her community a woman who has her fears and anxieties, a woman who is uncertain of her place, but still seeks truth. There needs to be a quality in the listening that we offer, a willingness to learn and to receive as well as to give, not least because the church has not always got it right. It needs to hear the voices that come from beyond the community of faith, as well as within. Here, Jesus, standing or sitting with this woman, expresses the God who comes alongside us and shares our human experience, that we will be enriched. 
Before we move on to application, as all good sermons do, let us first stay with the woman. This nameless woman who, apart from this passage in John, would not have left a mark upon history. Why does John include this story in his telling of the Gospel? You will recall when we get to the end of the Gospel, John boasts, I have so many stories about Jesus, I could fill several volumes of writing. And yet he includes this story, this lengthy story. And we know, of course, that originally the vellum on which these uh, Gospels would have been written were restricted and expensive. So there is some value in asking, why does this story appear? Why is it important to him? Well, it's not because John is presenting a feminist tract. Although he shows a Jesus who is more positive towards women than many of his followers have been in the years between. It's more than simply here as a platform for the Samaritan mission or an appeal to be kind to strangers. There is something very specific about this that John in this story validates the experience of the woman to be heard and to be dealt with seriously as a human being under God, even if at the time she lived under many restrictions. It is also to validate Jesus' attitude towards her as a right and proper thing under God to do. But it also comes, as the Gospel was written, at the time when Christians were beginning to spread into the Roman Empire, beyond Palestine, beyond those people who shared a common heritage of stories and expectations and mindsets. And it asks, what do you make of people who are different to you? And in some sense, on answering that question, hangs whether Jesus will be an obscure Jewish prophet or a world changer. This story is all about addressing difference making contact with people who are not the same. Of course, we are all different, with our different backgrounds and hopes and expectations. And indeed, the world would be a much more boring place if we all came across as if off a production line. But the difference needs to be embraced. Sometimes, difference is yoked to power. And there we see the problems. Political and economic, power of dogma or race, these things can project a world that instead of cooperative and collaborative and enriching, divides and objectifies and identifies as different and to be left alone. Here is the basis for the echo chamber where people only hear those who agree with them and will let no other information in. Here is the design of inherited prejudice without thinking, blindly following on what one has been told, one must think of others. Here is the 
world where fake news can run riot. We see it in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. We see it every time President Trump reaches for the Twitter button. We hear it as we see the divisions revealed in the referendum issues, the anger swirling around Granville Tower. A world divided into us and them, ours versus theirs, for and against, with no blurred boundaries, with no interweaving, with no sense of oneness. To this world, Jesus, uh, John holds up the mirror of Jesus, the man, the Jew, the respectable teacher who sits and talks with a vulnerable woman with a dubious reputation in her community who lacks the power to make change. Surely we hear echoing from this story the challenge to Christian to be communities that offer an alternative way in the world. For the Jesus people, to create an ethic of hospitality that prizes compassion and justice, which celebrates difference that is mutually enhancing and enriching and is able to break the closed circle of self-interest place where all are valued, all contribute, all receive. And Jesus listens with patience and generosity. He starts where the woman is, talks in a way that inspires confidence, even though she doesn't wholly grasp what's going on, and holds out to her something that is truly desirable. interesting thought to see whether in our own nation people see what the churches offer as being desirable. In short, Jesus is offered as a model evangelist, not a 21st century English liberal, but a man of his time who is able to transcend the barriers that marked off one from another. And if Jesus can reach across barriers of history background, and gender, and the story strongly suggests that he does, then surely there is the model to aspire as Christians seek to weave colour and texture of difference into the glorious tapestry of the life of the world that they shape. One hot and dusty day, Jesus meets a woman and points us all to the glories of God who welcomes us in. We come to our time of prayer of intercession and as we share these prayers together, at the invitation, Lord, in your mercy, we respond, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And there will be a little quiet for us to uh, populate uh, the clauses with the pictures and the stories we have gathered from our lives, from our media. Let us pray together.
God, we bring to you the world in which we live, our everyday world. We pray for those who suffer prejudice because of the color of their skin, or their gender, or their sexuality. We pray for those who live in a world where those who have the power conspire that others do not have enough to eat or drink or security for their living. We pray for those who work to make the world a better place by their actions work for peace, compassion, forgiveness and fresh beginnings. And we pray for those for whom this season brings something new, those who are excited at having passed exams with the future unfolding, those who are beginning new jobs, those who are living with the disappointments and disruptions to their plans, where the way forward does not yet seem clear. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who make up our local community wherever we live. For those who work within walking distance of this building. For those who live with us as neighbours, work colleagues and family. those who are local councillors and community leaders seeking to do the best they can for those who have been given them their responsibilities. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for this church community, for the ministers, Ruth and Simon and Dawn, and all who are caught up in the work and witness of this fellowship day by day and week by week. We think of the work and people supported by this church. Lives touched. Simple words of friendship offered. Acts of kindness shared. And we pray for those initiatives to reach out with practical love and understanding to the groups who make up this complex community around the building. Lord, in your mercy, 
we pray for one another. Each one with differing strengths and needs, joys and anxieties. We pray for those who are excited by life and those who live with routines. We think of younger and older, those who face particular challenges and those who week by week enjoy the life. We think of those who struggle with health or infirmity of old age. And in our prayers we remember Ruth and Ian Goldborn and Barbara Stamford and others who are known to us. And for ourselves, keep on renewing our willingness to be committed to the way of Jesus Christ. In our families, in our workplace, with our neighbours and in our community. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.